Hello, and welcome to the Lancet Neurology Podcast. My name is Nikolai Humphreys. In this episode, I'll be discussing a review titled Mitochondria, Center of Injury Responses in the Developing Brain. Earlier, I was joined by Henrik Hackberg, one of the paper's authors, and here he is introducing himself. My name is Henrik Hagberg, and uh, I'm a professor and uh, have a share at uh, the Centre for the Developing Brain, Perinatal Imaging and Health, King's College London, at St. Thomas' Hospital here in London. I started our interview by asking Henrik to describe the role of mitochondria in cells of the central nervous system and how our view of their activities has changed over the past few years. Yes, firstly, I think it's important to say that, uh, I mean, in all cells, the mitochondria uh, they are the power stations uh, of the cell. So that's where the ATP is being produced. And ATP is sort of the energy currency in the cell. So it's being used by all the different, in different processes within the cell uh, to, for example, construct, to, to make proteins, to uh, synthesize the DNA or for ionic pumping. I mean, for all those processes that a nerve cell is doing in the brain, they need uh, ATP. And that ATP is then supplied uh, by a chemical process that does occur uh, within the mitochondria. So you can say it's sort of the ATP producer of the cell. And that's true also for the central nervous system. And that's true for neurons, and that's true for the supporting cells like the glial cells or the myelin-making cells like that are called the oligodendroglial cells. So, so, so that's sort of the prime function of the mitochondria. But lately then, there are some new interesting features of these small uh, cell, cell organs or cell organelles, as they are called, because it has been found out that, that these uh, power stations or these mitochondria, they, are, uh, they can, uh, first of all, they have to be recycled all the time. So every two weeks all the entire population of the mitochondria are being recycled that is they are produced new mitochondria process that is called mitochondrial biogenesis and uh, the uh, ones that are, are becoming dysfunctional after approximately two weeks and they are discarded uh, in a in a process called mitophagy uh, which is a process whereby they are degraded uh, by different enzymes and then the different constituents of the mitochondria are being recycled and used to sort of make new mitochondria. And the reason for this sort of recycling, which is, seems to be very important, is, is that at the same time as they are producing ATP, they are also uh, producing more and more reactive oxygen species. And these different reactive oxygen species, then they are destructing different components of the mitochondria and also other parts uh, of, of the cell. And that means that they are sort of building up and producing more and more reactive oxygen species. And when they do so, they have to be discarded after a while and sort of renewed by a new, better functional mitochondria. So this process of biogenesis and mitophagy, that is production of new mitochondria and degrade, degradation of the old ones, is sort of has been discovered now as a very important process. So that's one thing. And the second sort of new thing is that what they also do is that they change their size and shape all the time. So um, if, for example, uh, the mitochondria needs to supply energy to a very narrow space within, for example, the synaptic butons, that is where the signaling occurs between from one cell to the other 
then they have to become smaller and then they undergo a process called fission, which is that they split off sort of small mitochondria that get into these narrow spaces and then can supply ATP. And, and that seems to be very important, this ability to undergo fission. And the other thing is that, for example, a synapse that is very, very active and that is larger than the mitochondria is doing the contrary, namely that they fuse and sort of become larger and more efficient and can produce even more ATP, the uh, process called fusion. And, and so they become, you can almost uh, make sort of the parallel with a train that is sort of uh, adding more and more cards, so it's becoming longer and longer and sort of can take more passengers. In the same way, the mitochondria become larger and larger and can produce more ATP by undergoing fusion processes. So, and at the same time, as they are undergoing fission and fusion and new mitochondria form, they have the biogenesis and they are degraded via mitophagy, uh, they also can migrate. I mean, you, you know what the neuron looks like. I mean, it's a relatively small cell body where the nucleus is localized, and then they have very slender, long uh, processes that we call neurites, uh, both dendrites that are then receiving uh, the electrical signals and then the axons that are propagating the electrical signals signals further to the next neurons and that's why these mitochondria then need to migrate along the axons and along the dendrites in a very uh, delicate uh, process and all these things uh, can then also be um, affected in different pathological conditions so, so I think that all this new information has sort of made a, a new perspective on, of, on sort of mitochondrial function. Can we go back a bit could you tell us how mitochondria help to shape the brain during development? This is relatively new data than that we are reviewing in this paper, namely um, that if, for example, there is a problem uh, with the mitochondria, I mean, there are several different proteins and there are regulating mitochondrial biogenesis, I mean, the process whereby the uh, mitochondria or, or then uh, it's a process whereby new mitochondria can be formed. And it has been shown that if these regulatory uh, proteins that are regulating the mitochondrial biogenesis, if they are impaired in any way, uh, or if you impaired them experimentally in, in animal models, um, and you not, cannot produce enough mitochondria, then this will uh, affect the ability of the nerve cell to produce neurites and to produce synapses and they become less efficient and there are even human cases where it has been discovered uh, that this protein uh, pgc one alpha is one, one of several of these regulatory proteins when that is not produced enough then the central nervous system is not developing normally and those cases even though it's a very very rare conditions they will have severe neurological disabilities. And the other thing that is then important is this fusion, uh, fission, fission uh, processing. It has also been shown that if you um, manipulate uh, this process, so prevent them from undergoing fission, then this will affect also the development of the nerve cell and the ability to form synapses and, and neurons in a very negative way and, and the central nervous system will not develop normally and, and these, um, if you do this experimentally the animals will not be able to walk normally and they also have when there is when you do neurological testing they, they cannot memorize 
as well and so forth. And the same thing is true if the human case it has this protein is mutated that is important for the sufficient process, then uh, these cases uh, have a, a brain injury and severe uh, neurological disabilities as well. So, so this has been shown for both the fusion fission and uh, the mitochondrial biogenesis and to some extent also the matophagy that if any of these proteins that are regulating these processes are impaired somehow, either in humans or induced in experimental models, then this, that will severely affect the ability to develop the central nervous system in a normal way. That leads me nicely into my next question. You say in your review that mitochondria help to make the immature brain resistant to acute injury and that they are crucial for the recovery of neurons after injury. Can you give us an idea of the types of injury that can affect the developing brain and how mitochondria might protect the brain or aid recovery? There are two different conditions that we are working on to try to sort of develop brain protective strategies and one of those situations is, is severe intrapartum asphyxia that mainly affects term infants um, and the other condition is or the other situation is preterm infants that are suffering also from brain injury especially in the white matter but also t to some extent in the gray matter which is fairly common today especially as uh, many preterm infants as you know are surviving to a much larger extent than they did 20 or 30 years ago. So those are the two sort of main um, conditions that we are trying to sort of develop uh, neuroprotective drugs, trying to prevent these neurological uh, consequences or the neurological handicaps that these infants develop relatively uh, quite often. What we think is, first of all, it's important to say like in a situation with oxygen like like asphyxia, uh, what is happening then is that the uh, mitochondria, when they are not uh, coping with the situation, um, they cannot sort of produce, they are not getting enough oxygen. Uh, if they don't get enough oxygen, they cannot produce ATP and they cannot maintain sort of the energy status uh, within the cell. What is happening then during recovery when oxygen returns to the tissue is that the mitochondria are still impaired. And that is a very dangerous situation because when the oxygen returns, they will start to produce very excessive amounts of reactive, reactive oxygen species. And uh, in many of these cases, what will happen is that the mitochondria will then permeabilize. And that means that they will release a number of killer proteins uh, that will actually kill the cells. And there's actually uh, at least 10 of these killer proteins that are well known um, that will uh, contribute to cell death. And the reason why the mitochondria are doing this, which is, of course, not uh, a very, it's usually a, a quite bad thing, but the reason we think is that during, uh, when the brain is developing, it's very important that uh, the cell can uh, undergo what is called natural cell death or apoptosis, because, as you know, as the brain is developing about half of uh, the number of uh, nerves that are being produced initially is actually discarded and they are not used. You sort of produce uh, a surplus of, of nerve cells and then you get rid of them in a process that is called uh, apoptosis. And that means that a lot of these proteins that are involved in the apoptotic suicide process 
they are upregulated at this point when they are uh, exposed to oxygen lack. And that's probably why the mitochondria are responding in this way and they release these different killer proteins uh, after severe cases of oxygen lack, which will kill the cell. And, and what we have found then is that if you, in many different ways, and many other groups have, have found this as well, that if you go in and block the mitochondrial polarization and prevent them from releasing these killer proteins, you can actually make the nerve cells to survive. And by doing this, you can combine this with other treatments, like, for example, hypothermia, where you're cooling the brain after severe interpartum asphyxia. And this combination seems to be a very efficient way to reduce injury and uh, decrease the risk of uh, developing neurological sequelae after severe oxygen lack. So in that situation, the mitochondria are, are very key. And we think that this is a very important target for neuroprotective treatment uh, in the future. What strategies are available present to protect the immature brain or to treat children with neurological impairment after brain injury? There is one treatment that is now has been uh, that is used as a clinical routine, and that is brain cooling. If there is a case of severe intrapartum asphyxia uh, that has not been able to be prevented, I mean, most of these cases, it's important to understand that in most of these cases in the Western uh, societies, we are detecting uh, asphyxia during uh, the interpartum monitoring, and we can deliver the baby and prevent all these things from happening. But every now and then, all these surveillance techniques are, are not uh, uh, good enough, and then we are having such a case with, with sort of a, a severe interpartum asphyxia. And then what we can provide, or the neonatologists can provide, is a cooling treatment. And that can be provided within six hours, and then the baby, the, the, either the head or in most cases the entire body uh, of the baby is being uh, undergoing hypothermia that is, that is cooled by three or four uh, degrees centigrade uh, for three days. And that has proven to be uh, very efficient in many of the animal experiments and models that have been done. And there are now at least three or four randomized controlled trials that have, that have shown and proven that this is an effective treatment also uh, in term babies that are suffering from asphyxia. So that is used as a routine treatment. So these different sort of mitochondrial strategies that we are planning, that, that would occur in combination with these hypothermic treatments. There is a lot of things going on and, and new strategies that are being planned, but the hypothermia is really the only clinically proven uh, therapy that is available today. You say that we need to learn more about the mechanisms of nervous system damage that result in neurological impairment. Are mitochondrial functions likely to be a target of future neuroprotective strategies? As I see, there are, there are two different uh, strategies here. I mean, first of all, we, we think that by prevention of the mitochondrial permeabilization, uh, this might be sort of an add-on therapy to, to uh, hypothermia in term babies that are suffering from asphyxia. So that's one sort of mitochondria-targeted mitochondria uh, therapy that uh, will be possible. Then I think that what is new in, in this paper is, is that the mitochondria also seems to be very important for brain development, and I'm absolutely certain that these processes of uh, fusion, fission, mitochondrial biogenesis, and uh, mitophagy is probably extremely important in the recovery phase and the repair phase after hypoxia ischemia in the more long-term perspective. Um, and we think that um, we will study these much more closely see if we can sort of find new mitochondria-based uh, strategies to actually improve 
uh, repair and, and increase the, uh, the survival of, of nerve cells. Because, I mean, if you have a situation where, for example, the uh, mitochondria cannot be recycled properly, it's very likely that the neuron uh, will undergo a very delayed uh, cell death, maybe several weeks after the insult. And we think that if we understand these processes much better, we will be able to prevent that. Henrik Hackberg, thank you very much for taking the time to speak to The Lancet Neurology. Thank you very much.